What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. In 2022, there were only 15 days when police did not shoot and kill someone in the U.S., according to a Washington Post database. Also, according to the Washington Post, this year, law enforcement has murdered 639 folks. That is an increase of six people since our last roundup, and we don't even know most of their names. There were no marches, rallies, rebellions, or hashtags for them. Most of their families grieved in silence and solitude. We must understand that police murders are just the tip of an egregious iceberg of transgressions against our people. Law enforcement serves as a militarized occupying army in our communities and neighborhoods. They racially profile, sexually assault, and wrongfully incarcerate our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So each week on Law and Disorder, we kick off our Thursdays with a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 4th, 2023. Delaware State Police have identified the man murdered in the officer-involved shooting at a New Castle area Lowe's in Delaware last Thursday as Tremaine Jackson. And they want you to be okay with them killing him because apparently he was a known shoplifter and a runner from police. I did a quick Google search and yeah, neither of those things carries a death penalty, even in Delaware. Nevertheless, police are doing a bang-up job with their comm strategy to demonize the victims. They say things like Mr. Jackson was a known fugitive shoplifting at the business and that his history of evading arrest posed a risk to public safety. This case may be the first test of major police reform bills signed into law in August, attempting sweeping changes to police accountability and transparency statewide. Although the law is touted as a step forward when it comes to lifting the veil of secrecy that surrounds police personnel records, including disciplinary and investigative records, advocates argue it falls short regarding what the public can and cannot access. Source, Anitra Johnson, Delaware Online. Also on last Thursday in Arizona, police were called to a domestic dispute near Brown Avenue and Diamond Drive. Police say they arrived and were confronted by 29-year-old Richard Jess Ramirez, who they say had a knife, and the cops killed him. No officers were injured. Of course not. He had a knife. They had the guns. This is the 59th officer-involved shooting in the state this year. Source, AZ Digital Family News staff. And in Georgia, a 17-year-old boy was shot dead by police on Saturday after they say he killed a police dog and pointed his gun at them. The teenager was identified as Stephen Ford. Source, CNN. All right, y'all. Hang on for this one. In East Bay Public Safety News, this weekend there are two events related to public safety in Oakland and addressing the urgent safety crisis we are facing on our streets. One is being hosted by the Genesis Worship Center this Saturday from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock p.m. It will be attended by local elected officials like Mayor Sheng Tao and District Attorney Pamela Price. Additionally, a group called Neighbors Together will hold a rally calling for a state of emergency which includes asking for state and federal or police or troops to be deployed into Oakland as a way to fight crime. This rally will be attended by former and failed politicians who enjoyed great power and fiscal benefits during the Libby Schaaf administration, who are now grasping at straws. So, 
Who are these neighbors? Well, they are not very neighborly. There is Molly Westfall, a developer from a wealthy family, former D6 Councilmember Lauren Taylor, who siphoned off $8 million of taxpayer monies for his own private venture, Steve Heimhoff, best known for his racist and poorly written caricatures of Mayor Tao and Councilmember Carol Fife, and Tom Wolf, a San Francisco transphobic conservative who supported the coup of democratically elected San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin. And speaking of transphobes, let's not forget the Oakland Neighbors Together founder, he whose name I do not say. Re- he regularly espouses homophobic and transphobic commentary, including a recent attack on Mayor Tao's staffer, Brandon Harami, calling him a pedophile, the oldest queerphobia attack in the books. He has threatened the lives and safety of numerous people, including journalists, myself, and local electeds. He seems infatuated with women he disagrees with and regularly stalks them online and in person. His alluding to no Knowing where I live forced me to move and take on a rent on top of my mortgage, leaving me with no choice but to drain my kid's college fund. He has brandished guns at folks he doesn't agree with and regularly shows up at unhoused encampments during sweeps to laugh it up with the cops and shout slurs at our most vulnerable community members. Behavior I witnessed personally. Last July, your neighbor brought writer Michael Schallenberger to Oakland, whose book is called San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. Schallenberger says charming things like, quote, reparations on its face is a racist initiative, end quote. In regards to homelessness, Schallenberg, who unsuccessfully ran for governor, wanted to ban what he refers to as illegal camping, saying, quote, free housing is not something addicts are entitled to. Subsidized housing should be earned, end quote. On this Sunday after the rally, your neighbor is bringing more racists and transphobes to the town. Who is the lineup, do you ask? One of these folks is Bakya Unger Sargon. She is the author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Charming, no? Unger Sargon repeatedly calls out representatives Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar as anti-Semites because they are pro-Palestine. She also puts forth the analysis that immigration hurts the working class. How many immigrants live in West? Oakland. Huh. This founder of Oakland Neighbors Together is also part of the Oakland NAACP's Political Action Committee. Let that sit with you for a minute. And it's not that the NAACP does not know about his shenanigans. They have been told repeatedly. This same NAACP just bastardized the 10-point platform of the Black Panther Party with a recent release of a 10-point platform for safety. Let's walk through some of their ill-informed points, shall we? One, increase the Oakland Police Department Forced to a minimum of a thousand officers, they say, to ensure there is adequate coverage to make Oakland safer. First of all, it is literally impossible to hire a thousand officers. Why? Put simply, we don't have the money. It would cost well over a hundred million dollars to employ this many additional officers, and that does not include training, human resources, equipment costs, and more. Just this June, widespread cuts were approved by our mayor and city council to navigate a three hundred million dollar budget deficit. If it were even possible to recruit this many officers, it would take years to do. Literal years to make all of these hires, and aren't these the people insisting that urgent action must be taken now? Lastly, the data is clear. More cops do not mean less crime. Two, they say, enact programs for providing mentoring, job training, and more jobs so our youth will have alternatives to a criminal lifestyle. The concept that we would hire more police and invest in additional programs for job training conveniently ignores the fact that we have funding for neither. Now, cutting the fat from OPD and investing in these programs would indeed be a winning public safety strategy, and I'm here for it. But that's not what the Oakland NAACP is calling for. 
Their plan also doesn't account for the fact that we spend $5 million per academy to train officers, officers that rarely stay after we've paid to train them. The NAACP plan also calls for the installment of license plate readers in the flats of Oakland. Governor Newsom has agreed to give the town $1.2 million to do just that, not to permanently house people, but to surveil the poor. The city agreed to this plan without bothering to consult the Privacy Commission. What's more, these readers have a horrific track record of falsely identifying people and the Oakland Police Department recently admitted that they could not name a single instance in which license plate readers were used to help solve an active investigation. The brilliance of the NAACP plan also calls for ongoing support from the California Highway Patrol and the Alameda County Sheriffs. Please note that the California Highway Patrol is the seventh most, most violent law enforcement agency in the state, and the Alameda County Sheriff runs the deadliest jail in the country. Both of these entities would be engaged in traffic enforcement, even though the data shows little to no evidence for traffic enforcement preventing so-called crime. What traffic stops do do is increase violent encounters between black and brown people and police. On a positive note, because, you know, that's how I like to end things, the NAACP did use the Anti-Police Terror Project's talking point about civilianizing positions that don't require a badge and a gun. Glad they were listening to something of import. Clearly, these are not the people to be devising a public safety strategy for Oakland or anywhere else. They continue to falsely claim that the city is doing nothing and that defund created this mess. Remember that the Oakland Police Department was never actually defunded. Their budget has grown every single year. The truth is, is that this mess has been caused by the same process that always creates these crisis conditions. Divestment from the people and overinvestment in cages and cops. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 4th, 2023. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our side at kpfa.org. Shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, for helping me curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>